We'll be taking our reading from Romans chapter 8, verse 18 to 22. For I am reckoning that the sufferings of this present time are not comparable to the coming glory that is to be revealed to us. For the endless expectation of the creation is awaiting the revelation of the sons of God. For the creation, having been subjected to futility, not voluntarily, but because of the one having subjected it in hope, that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that all creation goes on groaning and traveling together until now. The last time we spoke, we talked about the spirit work, how the spirit witnesses in our life, how we are to kill sin, and how the spirit helps us during suffering and from suffering to glory. And we talked about the importance of suffering in the Christian life. That Paul stated that without suffering, that if you do not suffer with Christ, then there is no way you can possibly be glorified with him so that is very very important for our christian work suffering is meant to be there and we are meant to see it and we are meant to prepare ourselves for suffering now paul has finished stating the previous verse that the qualification for being glorified with christ is suffering with christ and in this paragraph paul tries to motivate us to suffer with Christ. It first tells us that he has reckoned. He has reckoned. He has thought it out. And it says he has considered. He has taken into account every possible thing. He has put into all the sufferings that he will ever face in this life. Whatever is coming his way, he has looked at his floggings. He has looked at the persecutions that he has faced for Christ. He has looked at the amount of uh, stripes that he has taken. Even times that he has gone through shipwrecks. He has calculated all that. And he has judged. He has come to a logical conclusion. That the sufferings of this present time is not comparable to the glory to be revealed. It's not comparable to the glory that is to be revealed. And the same way Paul has reckoned for himself. And he has stated this pure fact. We ourselves are to reckon it. We are to do our own calculations and reason it in light of eternity. Are the sufferings of this present time really comparable to those that is to come, of the time that is to come? We look at it in terms of eternity. Is it really comparable? The, the sufferings of this present time may be very, very heavy. But the glory in, 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 in comparison to glory is far, far less. It's not even comparable. You notice it says sufferings at this present time or present age. Not suffering in the future age. It doesn't say there's going to be suffering in, the, in eternity. It says suffering at the present time. You also notice it says coming glory. Not that the glory has come. The coming glory is simply saying, is describing what the glory is like. The glory is something that is coming. And Paul is saying the glory is coming. The glory is on its way. This should even make us rejoice and be 
excited the glory is coming with Christ at the second coming as you are certain about the second coming be certain about the glory and Christ is on his way for example you invite someone to a program and there is a to a program to come to a program there's a big difference if the person's response is i will come and when the person says i am coming because there's so much more assurance and expectation in saying i am coming than i will come because i will come there could be some doubt it could be that the person is just resting in his house and he doesn't even plan on coming and just says i will come but when the person says i am coming it could mean that the person is already on the road coming for the program already. And if all things being equal, it will surely arrive. How much more when the Lord Jesus Christ, the sovereign uh, leader, uh, king of the universe, tells us he's coming. There's nothing that can stop his coming. He's the king. He's the ruler. There's nothing that can stop us. So he's coming with so much assurance and expectation. Jesus has said to same to us in Revelation 22 verse 20, he says, He who bears witness to this thing says, Yes, I am coming quickly. And our response is, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And Paul says, The sufferings that you are facing now does not deserve the glory that is to be revealed. That is, they are not on the same level. The suffering and the glory, if you put them together, they are not on the same level. They cannot be compared. Just like in, in uh, football, it would be so foolish for someone to compare someone like Messi and Messi Mount. It's not, they are not on the same level. There's no way you can compare them. One is far, far greater than the other. Career-wise, age and everything, one has proved himself than the other. One has won the trophies that the other one has won. So the glory is far greater. And just like grace and mercy compared to our sins. Our sins do not deserve the grace and mercy that we have received from God. Let's look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 17 to 18. He says, For our momentary light affliction is working out for us, an eternal weight of glory for beyond all comparison. Why we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now you notice it says for our momentary light affliction. It calls whatever suffering that we are facing here momentary. It calls it light. Light. Whatever thing you are going to go through in this light, life is light. And how can it be light? How can it be momentary? First of all, we know this is going to be temporary. Because we're not going to stay here forever. We're not staying on this earth forever. There is an eternity that is coming. That is far, far greater than this. So that is what makes it momentary. Now what makes it light? What makes it light is basically if you compare it with eternity. How many years do you have here on earth? Let's say you live very, very long. Ah, yes, at most 90, 100 years, you are gone. 
that is still light in comparison to billions of years that you have in eternity. Billions, billions of years that you have in eternity. If you compare the two, just have 90 years here and in eternity that is endless. How can you compare it? It will be extremely light. It will be momentary and temporary. And that's why he says this affliction, no matter how it is, is always light in comparison to the time that you have in it in glory. And that's why he says the momentary light affliction is not that it's, it's empty or it doesn't have any purpose. Your sufferings have purpose. There's always a purpose in us suffering. And he says our momentary light affliction is working out for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. So whatever you are going through, whatever suffering you are very, uh, passing through, whatever chronic illness, whatever cancer you are facing, is working out for you an eternal weight of glory. Whatever persecution you are facing is working out for you an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. And you, how can you be able to face suffering? It says, why we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. But the things which are not seen are eternal. So it's about setting your mind on the things which are not seen. You look with the eyes of faith into the eternal realm and see those things that are not seen. You see the glories of heaven. You see the rewards that await you in heaven. Then you'll be able to face suffering. Then you'll be motivated to go through suffering. And come out strong and firm at the end of the day. Peter says... In 1 Peter 4, 13, it says, But to the degree you are sharing the service of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of His glory, you may rejoice with exultation. If you are rejoicing now in sufferings, you will keep on rejoicing more and more when the glory is revealed. So we are meant to be able to rejoice in sufferings. And then we'll be practicing for the glory that is going to be revealed. We know certainly that this suffering is not forever. We know certainly that this suffering is going to be light in comparison to the glories of eternity. We know the fact. You can ponder over it. You can meditate upon it. If you want to even think about how much time you have to spend in eternity. So you will come to that conclusion and reason, record it to yourself. That this is actually light. This is actually momentary. Now we know suffering is not the final word. Suffering of the present time and not only the trials that are endured daily because of the confession of Christ. For instance, persecution. But it compasses the whole range of suffering, including things such as illness, bereavement, hunger, financial reverses, poverty and death itself. Suffering encompasses all this. There's a suffering that arises because we live in an imperfect world. And Paul is very realistic here. There's no reason to think that believers will be free from struggles in this present life. And it's important we learn how to bear them. There are times we suffer because of other people's sins. There are times we suffer because of our own sins. We get sick because of maybe uh, our environment or because we don't take care of ourselves properly. 
So, because we live in an imperfect world, suffering will arise. But no is not the final word. Know that the suffering is a pointer to something in eternity. It's pointing to the glory that you are going to receive in eternity. Peter says, to the degree you share in the sufferings of Christ, to the degree you partake of his glory. Know that this suffering is pointing you to the glory that you are going to receive at the end of this age. So we must learn how to face them now. And it is important to learn how to bear the sufferings since we are not going to be free from troubles in this present life. These sufferings are really troublesome and painful to us at the moment. It will feel like as if you want to die. So many things are happening to your bones. And if you, if you read the Psalms, some of the Psalms express this. Even Job, when he was going through everything that he was passing through, apart from the physical calamities that happened to Job, the thing that pained him most was the spiritual depression. He felt separated from God. He could not speak to God. Our Lord Jesus Christ faced the suffering on the cross. He felt forsaken by his Father. My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? He was forsaken at the cross. And he felt the same way. Our Lord Jesus Christ even out to be comforted and encouraged by his own disciples. He was grieved at the Garden of Gethsemane. He wanted to cry, sweated drop of blood. It sweat was like a drop of blood, basically, because of the suffering and the pain that he was going through. It troubled him in his heart, and he was saying, If it be your will, Father, let this cup pass over. And it felt basically very, very big for him at that time. But for the joy that he was set before him, he was able to face the cross. He set his own mind on the things eternal. He set his own mind to the amount of people that will bring him, that he's going to bring to glory. The amount of people that his life is going to bring to justification. Then he was able to go to the cross and he was satisfied. If only we can set our mind like on the Lord Jesus Christ who set his mind on the joy ahead of him. If we can set our mind on the joy ahead of us, then we'll be able to face sufferings in this present life. But they are of no weight. The sufferings that are really troublesome and painful to us at this moment, they are of no weight compared to the glory of the future. Now we are mourning and crying and rejoicing. Then we would only be rejoicing. The disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ saw the foretaste of His glory. In Mark 9, verse 1 to 3, it says, And Jesus was saying to them, Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God having come in power. Matthew's version says, uh, uh, The coming Son of God. And he says, And six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and brought them up on the high mountain alone by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his garments were shining intensely white as no laundry on earth could can whiten them. So they saw the glory in his cloth. It seemed like his body was 
transparent, basically, intensely shining white. John testified to seeing this glory in John 1 14. It says, And the world became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. We beheld. We held his glory. Peter testified to this later in his epistle and he says, For we did not make known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, following clearly cleverly devised myths, but be witnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from the God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. He says we were high witnesses of his majesty. They saw Jesus Christ in his majesty. They saw him in his glory. They had the foretaste of what it was going to be like with the, when the way they themselves were going to be glorified in eternity. Obviously, they saw the Lord Jesus Christ in his glorified form when he was ascended, when he had resurrected in his resurrected body. They saw him. Though they didn't see the full glory because he could have blinded their eyes, Paul probably saw the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ and he got blinded in his eyes. That is the glory that is awaiting us when we suffer with Christ Jesus. But one thing I can tell you for us now, we may not have been the disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ when our Lord was here on earth, but we are his disciples presently. And we ourselves have the knowledge of the glory, as Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. He says, For God who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So if you are a believer, if you have turned to Christ, then God has shined out, light has shined out of darkness in your heart. And God is the one that has shined in your heart to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. You are able to see Christ and be able to see the glory of God. And we ourselves are being transformed. That is what the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 3. It says, but we all with an unveiled face, beholding as in the mirror of the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. So it seems like as if you are in a mirror. You are looking at the mirror, the glory of the Lord. And when you are seeing, just like the way people have a perfect picture of themselves or what they want to be, and over time they are transforming themselves. They are transforming stage by stage. They are going through the process till they finally get to that perfect picture that they've aimed in their life. Or that perfect picture that they've set before them that they say, I want to be like this person when I grow up. So this is the perfect picture that you've set before them. And then over time, they keep transforming themselves till they become like that person. The same way all be- us believers are building Christ as our perfect picture. Are building His glory. And over time, we are being transformed into the same image, which is Christ Jesus, from glory to glory. We have a fortress now, and we can even see a lot about this in the book of Revelation. Revelation 21, verse 3 to 4 says, And I heard a voice, loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and it will dwell among them. 
and there shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, there will no longer be any mourning, or crying, or pain. The first things passed away. So you see here, it says, in the, in the time, in the new heavens and new earth, there will be no mourning, there will be no crying, there will be no pain, there will be no suffering anymore. All glory, all rejoicing. The first things, the present time which we are in now, will be passed away then. Who are the hosts that this coming glory is to be revealed to? The hosts are the day who suffer with Christ. And Paul says it is to be revealed. That means it has not been opened to us fully. We know about this uh, glory in part. We only have a knowledge of it, but no practical experience of what it's like. For example, there's a big difference in seeing Bosch Khalifa, which is in Dubai, in pictures, and actually being there in reality. So we have a bit of picture of the new heavens and new earth in revelations and we are excited how much more would we be when we are actually there in reality saying it so we know that this glory will be revealed when christ comes because scriptures tell us so colossians 3 4 says when christ who is our life is manifested then you also will be manifested with him in glory when christ appears you also will appear with him in glory Titus 2 says, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are looking for the blessed hope we are and the appearing of, our, of the glory of Jesus. 1 Peter 1, 3 to, 5 to 6 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has called us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To obtain an inheritance, incorruptible and undefined and unfading, having kept in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through salvation for a true faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though for now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. In verse 5 it says for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time which is the salvation, which is the glorification that is going to be revealed in the end of the age, when our Lord Jesus Christ comes. And you see, because of the motivation of the salvation that is to be revealed, in the, in the, the glory that is going to come in the uh, future, and the inheritance that are going to inherit, that is being kept in heaven for them, Peter uses that as a motivation. It says, you greatly rejoice because of all this that has happened, that is awaiting you in the future. You are greatly rejoicing, even though for now you are for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. You are facing tribulations now. You are going through suffering now, but you are rejoicing because of you know what the future holds for you and whose ends the future is in. Verse uh, chapter five, verse one. It says, "Therefore I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed." So you see Peter himself saying that, I myself am a witness of the sufferings of Christ. I saw Christ suffering. I myself am partaking in the suffering. So that means I'm going to be a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. So those who partake of the sufferings of Christ 
are those who are going to partake. They can be certain and sure that they are going to partake of the glory that is to be revealed. And when Christ the sheep shepherd appears, verse 4, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Why is the sufferings of the present uh, not comparable to the coming glory and po- to the coming glory? And Paul says in the next verse is because the creation is eager for the revealing of the sons of God. Creation doesn't mean everything created. The text clearly excludes believers from this term, creation. It means the subhuman creation like the earth. The intense anticipation of the old creation is awaiting the revelation of the sons of God. The old creation are zealous to see how the sons of God will look like in glory. As we are awaiting eagerly the revealing and appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, the creation is awaiting eagerly the revealing and appearing of us. Even creation can testify that the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed. That is why they are eager to see what we would look like. Creation keenly anticipates the unveiling of the true nature of Christians. We say this is not our face. Our face will be revealed in glory. Christians in this life do not appear much like the sons of God. And if you see believers and you see unbelievers, sometimes you don't know the difference between them. Unless maybe in character and their lifestyles, you will know the difference. But you see the unbelievers suffering. And you still see the believers suffering too. And even David himself, if you notice the Psalms, he couldn't see the difference between a righteous man and the, uh, and the one that was unrighteous. He even saw in this life that the unrighteous actually prosper more than the righteous men. The unrighteous actually enjoy this life and they go to <laughs> the, their graves in enjoyment. They live very, very well. Unlike the, the, uh, the righteous men. Sometimes the righteous men do suffer. But what comforted glory, uh, David in Psalm 37, I think, was basically when he saw the end of the unrighteous and he saw the end of the righteous men. Then he was comforted. Even we have the story of the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man enjoyed the life, basically. They will enjoy this life to the fullest. And Lazarus himself was suffering, a righteous man. But in eternity, Lazarus was being comforted. Why it was not the same for the rich man. He was in agony for the rest of eternity. So you see in this life, there's not much difference between the nature of Christians. We do not, much appear, uh, do not appear much like the sons of God in this life. And the last day we publicly manifest our real status. The revelation of which, Jesus, of which Paul speaks of is not only a disclosure of what we have always been, but also a dynamic process by which the status we now have in preliminary form and the hiddenness will be brought to its final stage and publicly evident. Why is creation legally awaiting our, our, our revealing? Why? Paul says that God subjected creation to futility in hope that it will be set free from decay into the freedom of the children of God. So the reason for the anticipation 
of the creation is that creation is not what it should be or what God has intended it to be. When God created everything in the earth and in the heavens, he said it was good. It was good. But now God has subjected everything to vanity and fertility. What does vanity or fertility mean? It means the creation being unable to attain the hands for which it was made. The purpose that God created it uh, for, the creation is not being able to attain that purpose anymore. Others fall into sin, mad the goodness of God's creation, and ever since it has been in state of vanity, futility. Let's look at how God subjected creation to futility. And you see that in Genesis 3, verse 17 to 19. It says, Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cause is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and tissues it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your fist you will eat bread. Till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you, are, you shall return. You see, God yet caused the ground because of man, because man fell. So the, the, the earth wasn't subjected to fertility by its own free will. It wasn't willingly. It was basically because man had sinned that the earth had to suffer for the consequences for man's sin. And the ground was caused. So the creation, though subjected to vanity as a result of human sin, has never been without hope. And that is what uh, Paul tells us. Say it was subjected in hope. When God was causing the creation, he knew there would be a redemption. He knew there would be a deliverance. He knew there would be a salvation. And we see that in Genesis 3 verse 15. And he says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. This is what theologians call the project. Uh, I will see from this text basically that God had a plan of redemption. Even at that moment when he was cursing Adam and Eve. Because he says to, his, uh, to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman. I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. So the, the woman's seed that he was talking about here was basically looking up to our Lord Jesus Christ. Was looking forward to our Lord Jesus Christ. This was a shadowing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right from the fall. Said there will be a seed that will come. From the woman. That will bruise the head of Satan. That will bring about deliverance of God's people. From sin. From bondage to sin. Even look at uh, Genesis chapter 5. Verse 29. God knew it. And he says. Now he called his name Noah, saying, This one will give us rest from our work 
and from the toil of our hands arising from the ground, which the Lord has caused. So you see, even from Noah, God has already started planning the steps, the ways for redemption. How is going to redeem man? From Noah himself. And he says, this one will give rest. It's like as if it's a reversal of the course of the Garden of Eden. He said, this one will give us rest from our work. From the toil of our hands. Arising from the ground which the Lord has caused. From the ground which the Lord has caused. So, through Noah, God was prophesying a redemption. God knew he wasn't only going to redeem man, but also creation. We also notice from this that sin not only affects us, but also our, our environment. It also affects the world that we live in. Do not, Leviticus 18 verse 24 to 28 says, Do not defy yourselves by any of these things, for by all these the nations which I am casting out before you became de- be- become defied. For the land has become defied, therefore I have brought his punishment upon it. So the Lord has spewed out his inhabitants. For, but as for you, you are to keep my status and my judgment, and shall do, not do any of these abominations, neither the native nor the alien who sojourns among you. For the men of the land have been before you, have done all these abominations, and the land has become defiled, so that the land will not spew you out. Should you defile it, as it has spewed out the nations which has been before you. So you see, yeah, uh, Lord is telling them that if you are defiling the land by your own sin, the land is going to spew you out. The land is going to react to the sins which you are committing by your, your abominations that you are committing to the land. The land is going to spew you out. The land is literally going to vomit you out. And that is why the people that were in the land before the Israelites came in were vomited out of the land because of the abominations and atrocities they've done. And that is why we know basically that what we do affects our environment. And the same thing we even talk about global warming that you push it, they will say, Don't stop burning things, uh, minimize the way you bring out carbon dioxide that it affects your environment. And you talk, they talk about global warming and the way it affects us, how the sun becomes extremely hotter. So you see, the way we live our lives also affects our environment a lot. We even talk about planting trees and people uh, cutting down trees and how it's good for our society and our environment. So the way we behave surely affects our environment and we have to take that into consideration. Whatever we are doing is not only affecting us, it's affecting everyone around us and even the creation itself. From this text, we also see here that as man is being set free from sin and decay and corruption, so will the creation. Creation will be set free from slavery, from bondage, from the cage of decay and corruption into the glory of the children of God. God created the subhuman creation before man. Man fell and creation fell. God is using a new order now, the new creation order now. He's creating new men before a new universe, which is the new heavens and new earth. 
So as the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, is a new creation in Christ Jesus. So we are new creations in Christ Jesus. And the first creation now that God created the universe that will be fit for Adam to live in. And the last one, God is creating a new man and a new woman that would be fit to live in the new universe. Because this universe won't be suitable for our glorified forms anymore. In 1 Corinthians 15 says this, it says, So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in a, uh, a perishable body. It is raised in an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in natural body. It is raised in spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So also it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. Then the spiritual. The first is from the earth, earthy. The second is man is from heaven. As is the earthy, so also those who are earthy. And as is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. Just as we are born the image of the earthy, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. Now I say this, brethren. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So we see what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 15 is that our bodies, our forms now are not fit to inherit the new universe. We are not fit to stay in that new universe. The forms that we are in, if we get to that new universe, we are going to pollute it. Like we polluted this one. So God has to give us a new set of bodies. He has to give us glorified bodies, imperishable bodies that we can be able to inherit the imperishable. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So the new universe is what is going to be fit for the new bodies that God is going to give us in our glorified form. We await Jesus appearing and when he comes, we become glorified and revealed. In the same way, when we appear and are revealed, creation then becomes glorified. Sometimes we look at our world today and we, uh, we see a lot of beauty. How much more would it be in the new universe? How much more? We, we even see, we even, sometimes we even want to know what was it like to be in the garden of Eden then. How much beauty would it have been? Because now God has said, um, all has fallen short of the glory of God. So basically, everything has been mad. Everything that we can even see as beautiful is less than the way God created it to even be. So how beautiful would it have much be in the new universe if this the mad universe is even beautiful that we are in now. How much more in the new heavens and the new earth? So salvation is not only for man, but also for the, the universe. Acts 321 says, Whom ever must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophet from ancient time. You, you see the word restoration of all things, not only man, but all things are going to be restored. And God followed the logic of his proposed subject of creation to man 
by subjecting it yet further in consequence of man's fall, so that it will serve as an appropriate contest for fallen man. A future word to engage the future mind of man. You see, our sufferings was always in view of hope. Romans 5 verse 3 to 5 says, And not only this, but we also exult, rejoice in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our heart through the Holy Spirit, who was given to us. And you see a lot of times that whenever suffering comes upon the life of believers, it really draws them closer to God. It really brings about their dependence upon God. And they always want to come back to God at that moment, even if they've not been praying for a long time. When suffering just eats them like it, the only person they can run to is no one else but God. So they know that they need God. And that is the same thing. The suffering always brings about, produces hope. And suffering brings about perseverance when you have gone through it. And it actually changes your character for good. It affects your character. And it brings about hope. You're, when you come out from suffering and you survive it, you go through it, your faith has been tested. It always increases your hope in God. Your hope with God becomes stronger than ever before. Than ever before. So this, the same way the suffering of creation was always in view of hope. Now we know creation is in slavery because we know that it is groaning and traveling together now. We can hear those groans. We can hear those deep sighs in creation. Present continuous tense. Currently happening. It is suffering the pains of childbirth. Creation is crying for freedom, and we see this every day. Natural disasters is a big proof of creation groaning. Creation is in grief, it is complaining for freedom. Just like the way people who are being oppressed, people who are in slavery and bondage cry out for freedom. Someone liberate us, someone liberate us. It's the same way creation itself is crying out for liberation from corruption and decay. The same way we ourselves are tired of sin and decay and corruption and tired of this present world, creation itself is tired of its own self that is sinful, that is decaying, that is corrupted. Jeremiah 12 verse 4 and 11 gives us a picture of even creation crying. He says, how long is this land to mourn? And the vegetation of the countryside to wither for the wickedness of those who dwell in it. Animals and birds have been snatched away because men have said it will not see our latter end. Verse 11 says it has been made a desolation. Desolated months before me. The whole land has been made desolate because no man lives it to heart. So God is saying the creation, the, the land is crying out to him. Even Jesus, our, our Lord, has a word to say. About creation and suffering too. Matthew 24 verse 7 to 8 says, For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely beginning of bed pans. These are just merely traveling, beginning of traveling. The sufferings of childbirth. And you see our Lord says, When you see famines, when you see these natural disasters of famines going on, when you see earthquakes happening, this kind of destruction happening, 
Know that creation is traveling. Know that creation is crying. Even said in Luke 21, verse 25 to 28, it says, There will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth, dismay among nations and perplexity at the rind of the sea and the waves. You see, the seas are, are being affected. Men fainting from fear and the expectation of the things which are coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with power and great glory. But when these things begin to take place, straighten up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. So whenever we see creation crying out, whenever we hear of a natural disaster that has happened, what should that do to us? That should increase our anticipation for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This should stir us up to hope more in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, that our Lord is coming soon, that our redemption is drawing near. Our Lord Jesus Christ in John 16 verse 22 said, Truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but you, your grief will be turned into joy. Whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that a child has been born into the world. Therefore, you too have grief now. But I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away from you. So our Lord gives us a comfort. Even when we are seeing creation crying, we should be anticipating His return. God is betting out a new universe out of this one. So the creation is traveling. So the creation is crying. Growing and traveling together signifies that the creation has not yet fulfilled its purpose. The fertility, the decay, the corruption and frustration of the present world signals no completeness and failure to reach its potentials. What a disinterested observer might regard as merely a geological phenomenon or as, an of, as the unfortunate effect of changing weather systems. The believer sees a meaning to that catastrophe, to that disaster. And he sees it as the slowdown of creation's discomfort and the present alienation from and distortion of what might have been and what will yet become. He's saying that creation is not what it would have been. And it hasn't been what it's yet to be. It doesn't reach its full potential of what it will become. I will see from all this that Paul encourages believers to endure temporary sufferings by giving them a glimpse of the beauty that awaits that the children of God. Our Lord does this too. In the book of Revelation, in the letter to the seven churches, our Lord Jesus Christ will call. And he will tell them that you are going to be going through sufferings. You are going to be going through tribulations that is coming. There is no, I'm not bringing, I'm not freeing you out of those tribulations. They are coming. I want you to persevere to the end. And when he wants them to persevere to the end, he gives them a glimpse into their reward that awaits them in heaven. And this reward is basically a motivation for them to go through the sufferings. To be able to, be able to look towards the suffering and come out strong in it. So he says you will partake of the tree of life if anyone overcomes. If you overcome, I will not remove your name from the book of life. 
I'll, I'll declare your name before my father and his holy angels. These are wonderful promises that our Lord Jesus gives us as motivation for suffering. Remember in Matthew 5, it says that when you have been persecuted, blessed are you when you are persecuted, when people speak evil of you and revile and attack you. Rejoice for your reward is great in heaven. Rejoice for your reward is great in heaven. So what motivates us to rejoice in suffering is that our rewards are going to be great in heaven. And Paul uses this same motivation to give us a beauty of what awaits for us in eternity as a motivation for us to be able to endure and persevere through our temporary sufferings here on earth. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word once again. Thank you, Lord, that suffering is not the final word. Death doesn't have victory over us. You, O Lord, conquer death that we might no longer be scared of it. Lord, we can face any suffering that comes to us in this life because you yourself went through it at first and you have paid way for us. You have left for us an example for us to be able to face sufferings in this life. We thank you for your precious promises that you have been able to give us. Thank you for the comfort that you have given us in scriptures. Thank you, Lord, that we can have a foretaste of those glories that we are to see in eternity now on earth. We can enjoy it and we see this full, full reality in the age to come. Heavenly Father, you have been so gracious to us and merciful to us in these times. Though we may not be suffering now, Lord, but prepare us, O Lord. Because we know it's going to come. If we are to be glorified with you, we know we are going to suffer with you. And Lord, we pray for our brethren who are suffering now, Lord. Around the world, those who are going through unhealthiness or, uh, or persecution or amen, O Lord. Lord, we pray that you will grant them comfort, O Lord. If it's your will, O Lord, Father, bring them out, O Lord, of these sufferings that they are going through. Lord, let their faith, O Lord, prove stronger and let them pass the test, O Lord, of these trials. Let their faith be refined as gold, O Lord, after this. We pray they become stronger than the way they were in the faith. Father, may none of them give up on the faith. May none of them perish, O Lord. We know, O Lord, nothing shall separate us from your love. Not even persecutions or sufferings, O Lord. Grant us, O Lord, the gift of perseverance to be able to go through and let your love, O Lord, control us. Help us, O Lord, to set our minds on the eternal things, on things which are unseen and be able to weigh upon them, be able to do our own calculations and reckoning and we'll be able to say with Paul, for I consider that the light momentary affliction of this life is working out for us an eternal weight of glory. Lord, I hope we'll be all be able to say that. We thank you, Father, for your word. May this word have big impact in our lives and change the way we see sufferings in this life. We ask all this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. <music>